When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's worked so far, but we're not out yet. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I want to know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Leading off today's podcast with What's On Your Mind by Information Society. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Evan Hughes. We're pleased to be joined, as always, the dynamic duo, the one-two punch of Tech Sideline, the founder, Will Stewart, the managing editor, Chris Coleman. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I don't feel very very dynamic today. It's pretty cold outside. It is cold outside. And we're supposed to get ice tonight, uh, which may or may not start by the time we actually post this podcast. Yeah. Well, hopefully we just don't have to talk about snow for the next month or so, right? Do you get to January, maybe? I don't know. All the old guys with their farmer's almanacs say this is going to be a bad one. And, and if we're starting out with ice on November 14th, is that what today is? 13th, 14th. Uh, yeah, 14th, that's, that's yeah. not good. So I do want to mention what is going on right now because, as John Laser says, it is crossover season. We've got men's basketball. We've got football. We throw in today's uh, first day of the national signing period. So we've got players committing or high school recruits committing to all of these different programs at Virginia Tech. Chris Coleman, you are a busy man this week. I'm a busy man. So we're recording this podcast, and it's 1.44 in the afternoon on Wednesday. So between now and 11.30 tomorrow morning, I need to – Right, a basketball tournament preview. I already wrote a big article on JUCO recruiting this morning. I've got to edit and post a Jason Stame article. I think Brandon Patterson will send another article in that I've got to edit and post. Uh, and I've got to write the Miami game preview. And and I'm sure Buzz Williams, of course, will release all release all of his LOIs tonight. You know, so yeah, it's it's going to be a busy busy period between now and tomorrow morning. And of course, Virginia Tech basketball plays at 11:30 tomorrow morning. That's why I used that 11:30 time frame. So yeah, it's it's getting uh, getting busy. So with all that you just said, it's a great time to go to TechSideline.com. Yeah, it's going to be a lot hours. to read. <laughs> a lot of great lot content. Hey, so usually we talk about what's coming up on the website uh, at the end of the podcast. I'll throw something in here early in the podcast. Coming by Friday is a former defensive tackle from the mid-90s, Jeff Holland. Uh, Jeff and I are acquaintances slash buds. We've tailgated a little bit together, and uh, I told him at some point that I wanted him to uh, come by and be on the podcast. So he's coming by Friday. He's uh, bringing a case of beer, and we're going to do a podcast. And Evan is not going to be here, unfortunately, which means the uh, lunatics are running the asylum. You know, sorry if that phrase offends anybody. It's just a common <laughs> phrase, common usage phrase. And Jeff is kind of a lunatic, so... We'll be talking to Jeff. Uh, from what I understand, there's a 1993 uh, football team reunion going on this weekend, so they've got some things going on for those guys. And uh, Jeff's going to get here early and do a podcast with us. We'll talk about uh, you know his playing days, the teams back then, 
Um, also, uh, if you have any questions for Jeff, just tweet him at us and we'll ask him, you know, during the podcast. And I'll try to remember to do a tweet after the show as well. Uh, so looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. That'll be available uh, sometime here in the next week or so. Looking forward to getting that out. Yeah, I think what I'm going to do is, uh, you know, ideally I'd like to talk to him about Miami because we're, you know, Tech's playing Miami this weekend. But I don't think there's time to and, – and we will talk about Miami, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's time for us to do the podcast and, and get it tossed up on SoundCloud before the weekend. So I think we'll probably be putting that up on uh, Monday. Looking forward to it. And that kind of leads us in. We will be talking about Miami on this podcast. Here's what else you can expect today on the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be breaking down the Pittsburgh game, the X's and O's of it, what it means to the program moving forward. Will Virginia Tech add a 12th game? We'll be discussing that in just a little bit. Plus, we'll be talking about men's basketball. Landers, Nolly, not cleared by the NCAA. We will talk about that entire situation. And we'll talk about the recruiting class coming in for multiple sports at Virginia Tech. And I'll throw this in there. Women's basketball had a great day today with signing day. So, but we begin our podcast today talking about men's and women's soccer. I want to bring this up before we get to football because I think that it is important on this Virginia Tech podcast while we focus heavily on football and basketball that we highlight some of the main things going on in Virginia Tech athletics, and that is that the men's and women's soccer team both made the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. They're both going to the tournament together. That has never happened before. It's the first time that the men's team is a national seed, and the women's went to Texas last week, who was ranked fourth in the bracket in their region, and knocked off the Longhorns. So that, that was the Longhorns' first home loss of the season. And anytime you can go on the road and win, on the Longhorn Network, mind you, I think is a pretty good day. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, – I, f- I forgot to watch that. I don't get the Longhorn Network in HD. I get it in standard definition, but still, I, I, I missed that. I should have checked I that. mean, I, I couldn't watch it because I was at the men's basketball game covering that. Right. Uh, so, uh, it was uh, – unfortunately. I'm going to go to the men's game on Sunday, though. That's going to be awesome. They actually yeah. have a first-round bye. Uh, yep. And they're a 12 seed, right? Correct. Is, is the, that the, overall? The number 12 overall seed. The number 12 overall seed. So they're basically what would be a three seed. In, in a bracket in, in yeah. basketball. Yeah, they would be the last three seed in in, a, in an NCAA basketball tournament bracket. Yeah. yeah. And you got to give it up to Mike Brizendine, the head coach of the men's team, because they lost so much last year. They had Ben Lundgaard, who's one of the best goalkeepers in school history, replacing so much. And here they are arguably having – their best season in program history. He's done a really good job. Uh, I think he's gone out and gotten some quality international players. They've got a, a Dutch goalkeeper uh, now who is very good. They've got a, uh, a defender who used to be on Iceland's under-21 international team. Uh, and Iceland's a very, very good soccer country. So uh, uh, I think he's done He's done a very good job recruiting. And, and I think to be effective uh, – you, need to, you have to go overseas and, and recruit these days, and he's done that. And I'll give a shout-out to the women's team as well. Manny McGlynn, a top-notch goalkeeper for the women's side. They beat UVA at home this year, and, of course, uh, the Cavaliers are a perennial top-10 team in the country. So it's an exciting time. I and, thought we should start off the podcast on a positive and note. And she's a U.S. under-21 uh, international, right? Correct. Yeah, that's right. She so, is the under-21 goalkeeper, which is very impressive. So, ACC soccer is crazy. So, what did you tell me, Chris, the other uh, day? Virginia Tech is the number 12 overall seed. On the men's w- w- side. Which right. makes them the seventh highest seeded ACC team, I believe. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. And I believe they're in the top 10 in RPI. Right. So, yeah. 
you know, when you're playing Duke and North Carolina and all these schools so many times throughout the season, that'll definitely get you ready for postseason play. So you could argue that it's harder to win the ACC tournament than it is the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, you know, if you go to the NCAA tournament, you're going to play some teams that aren't that great, probably. Right, right. In the ACC tournament, They're, you're not playing anybody who's <laughs> not great. <laughs> and I do want to highly recommend our readers to go to TechSideLine.com. Our, our Jake Lyman has done a great job covering. Uh, Virginia Tech Olympic sports in the fall, but especially soccer. And I believe he has an article up this week about the soccer programs. I think so, yeah. Uh, Chris, did we do an article on the women's team this week? or uh, We did an article on the women's team last Friday previewing their game with Texas. Right. And uh, we will have a men's article later this week. Oh, add that to the list. There we go. <laughs> it, it, adding on to the busy week. But, again, our congratulations to the men's and women's soccer team. All right, let's go back in time. Let's go back to Heinz Field. Let's not. Do we have to? <laughs> on Saturday, Virginia Tech a fifty-two to twenty. Excuse me, fifty-five to twenty-two loss uh, to the Pittsburgh Panthers on Saturday. What is different about this loss compared to the other ones this season? Mm. The disappointing part, I think, to me was that I thought the team made progress against Boston College, and then they went in the complete opposite direction against Pitt yeah, and, and weren't and, competitive at all. And, and Brandon, Brandon Patterson had written an article for us where he said that uh, uh, Pittsburgh's a run-heavy team like Boston College, but that they throw in a lot of misdirection. Right. And you saw the results of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, even the Georgia Tech game, which, you know, turned out to be a 21-point game and it was a 28-point game at one point. But even that game, Virginia Tech was winning 21-14. to 14. So it's not like they came out of the tunnel – and immediately got blown out. They came out of the tunnel in Heinz Field and immediately got blown out. Yeah, I think it was 17 nothing early it second was. quarter. And you knew it was yeah. over. And it was almost 24 nothing if they didn't turn the ball over in the that's, red that's zone. That's right. They fumbled in the end zone. Yeah. So I want to read over a couple of stats from this game. Pittsburgh had 652 yards of total offense. 54. My apologies. Yeah, give him that extra two yards. Yeah, that's really important. That, that was the difference in the game. 652, we could have handled it. 492 of those 654 yards were on the ground. And that broke the record against Virginia Tech, which Georgia Tech had set two games ago with 465 yards. Two records in three games. Awesome. So. How much of this defense right now, giving up that amount of yards and what we've seen over the last month and a half, how much of it should be credited to the inexperience? How much of it should be credited to the injuries? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's not really Tech's young players that are disappointing to me. Uh, because they're young. Because they're young. They're going to be inconsistent. Yeah, you're going to have inconsistencies. I don't think Reggie Floyd has had a good year. Uh, and part of that could be he's trying to compensate for some other guys. He's concerned they'll be out of position and things like that, so he tries to overcompensate and then takes himself out of position. I, I, I don't know. That's speculation. But at any rate, he's not had a good year. And when you have that many young players on the field, you need your more experienced players to play up to their potential, and he is not. Uh, Ricky Walker has not because of injury. Vinny Mahota has not because of injury. And – that's it. That's that's all the defenders Tech has over the age of a June, of a <laughs> sophomore. Right. That's a right? short list. Yeah, that, you're right. Yeah. That's a short list. So, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I I think Tech. I, I'm more worried about talent at certain positions than I am in experience. Um, 
I, I think some of these freshmen will be very good. I think Taiwan Garbutt showed a lot of flashes the last two weeks. He's taken a big step forward. He's played more physically the last two weeks, and I think that's great. Really like Dax Holyfield. In fact, I'm, I'm fine with what the linebackers t- Tech have. I think they're going to grow up and be good players. Uh, I'm less sure on the, some of the younger defensive backs. Um, I mean, I think Caleb Farley's improved in coverage, but – you cannot put a tackle like that on the field unless you absolutely have to. Yeah, he's I'm got sorry. a he's got yeah. a long way to go as far as physicality and tackling. Yeah, exactly. And, and you saw that when Darren Hall just shrugged him off. Oh yeah, yeah. and 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 now he's playing. Quite frankly, he shouldn't be playing. Adonis Alexander and Jeremy Webb were supposed to be Virginia Tech's starting cornerbacks this year. Caleb Farley was supposed to be the number three cornerback at best. And also keep in mind too, you know, you talk about the tackling with Farley. I want to go back to his college career coming in. And and switching the way he did from offense to defense back and forth. And really, it's almost like we know you've got the talent, but we've just got to throw you on the field and, and uh, see what you can I do. Think, I don't know where, where this person, and I forget who said it to me, honestly, but somebody told me that Farley made 22 tackles when he was in high school. In a game? No, no, in his career. <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought you were going to say, so he knew what I tackled at one point. And, 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 I, and I can't confirm that stat because I haven't looked it up myself. But if that's true. Then, yeah, it shows you that he barely played defense at all in high school. And he's so gonna, he's never played defense until now. That's insane. And he has to be Virginia Tech's top cornerback, and despite the fact that he's never played defense before. So that's unfair to him, it, honestly. It, quite frankly, it's putting him out there in a situation where, where everybody's seeing how awful he is at tackling, and but it's not really his fault either because he should not be this exposed It's, it's such a young player. But Jeremy Webb ruptured his Achilles. Adonis couldn't stay eligible, and and here we are. And you look at the secondary, Will, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of injuries take place to an already inexperienced secondary. Yeah, I got to look at a uh, – um, somebody put, uh, put out a graphic on Twitter that had uh, the – I think it was Ox. I think it was the four deep from uh, 2017. And I don't can't remember if it was the guys from 2017 or guys who were projected to come into 2018. I thought it was the depth chart for the Florida State game this year, right? Uh, it, or is that what Andy Bitter tweeted? I think it, it, a lot of people are doing this kind of stuff, so it's hard to keep them all straight, <laughs> yeah. you know. But the one I saw did project Jeremy Webb being available, the Edmonds brothers being back, that sort of thing. So it oh, goes, yeah, goes yeah, farther yeah, okay. back than, right. than Florida State. And it was it was a four deep at every position on defense, and it's been whittled down to a two deep at a lot of positions and a one deep at some positions. So it's it's a tremendous number of guys lost to uh, injury and attrition. And and to get back to Chris's point about, you know, uh, I've been uh, – again, I'm not a super big-time X's and O's guy, but I, but I do watch some film and I, and I watch guys and I, I watch how plays develop. And, and Darren Hall had a, a 58-yard uh, run that did not go for a touchdown. He had it, uh, I think, at the 17 nothing point in this game. And so you kind of look and see what the defensive backfield is doing. And that's a particular play where if Reggie Floyd had filled the gap, he would have hit Darren Hall right around the line of scrimmage. But Reggie was looking at the quarterback, and I'm not sure what he there, was There was at. rocket motion coming across the backside, and he had his, his eyes on that motion. And he, and he just got frozen there for a while. He didn't see the handoff, and he didn't get to the gap in time. And – it's something that way back in the LSU game when, uh, when LSU in 2007 when LSU lit, the, lit a good tech defense up, just lit them up. I remember uh, Raleigh Hokey was writing for us at the time, and he said that what happened was uh, that the, the whip linebacker was young and struggling, and LSU went after him. 
and that Xavier Adibi and, and Vince Hall started trying to compensate for him and things just snowballed. It was the two cams. It was the whip and the rover, Cam Martin and Cam Chancellor. The, mm-hmm. It was their first time starting. They were both sophomores, and, and they were both bad that night. Yeah, and, 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 and it just made the rest of the defense worse, and sometimes that's what happens. Now, I look at the positive, you know, what are some things that Virginia Tech can build on moving forward? And you think about the core components of this defense in the next couple of years. You know, you have to be excited about, like you said, the linebacking core and Ashby and Hollyfield and yeah. um, uh, uh, Rico Kearney. I mean, th- there are a lot of players, I feel like, especially in the linebacking core, it's going to be fun to watch. I've seen enough out of the linebackers this year to make me think they'll be fine. Well, and it's one of those positions they've recruited well. Yeah, the, well, they, they over-recruited it, quite frankly, and this is what happens when you if – you, if you recruit enough bodies, you'll you'll find a couple of guys who can hits. play. And these are right. all three- and four-star guys, right. you know, and, and it's similar to the wide receiver position where they've recruited heavily, perhaps over-recruited right. it. So I don't worry about those right. two positions. Right, yeah. and, and quite frankly, I'm not as worried about defensive end as some people because they've over-recruited that one too. They've got three redshirt freshmen in there in the rotation, and they were all – and two of them were four-star recruits, and – and I still think Zion DeBose eventually will be better than both of them, and he was the three-star recruit. So I'm not worried about defensive end all that much either. Uh, I would like to have a couple more bodies there. But the big worry to me is uh, is the secondary and defensive tackle. And, I, you know, I'm not going to name names here, but there's a guy or two on the field on defense, particularly at tackle, that in past seasons would not be in the two deep probably not even in a three deep quite frankly right. i mean you're talking walk-on caliber players that should be playing a role on the scout team uh and they're actually playing in football games for virginia tech right now and you can't make adjustments for that there's nothing but you but foster can't snap his fingers and come up with some kind of new scheme or new strategy to comp to compensate for that I mean, there's nothing you can do you have to have good players, and Tech doesn't. All you can do is keep coaching your young guys really, really hard and go out and get some JUCOs, and that's what Virginia Tech's trying to do right now. Um, we, we can probably talk about JUCO recruiting next week or something like that, but, uh, but yeah, Virginia Tech is, is targeting the JUCO ranks heavily this year uh, for a linebacker, uh, a backer specifically, and also a lot of defensive tackles. We can talk about it next week. I actually think I saw that Tech offered somebody at uh, Independence – which is the, currently the Netflix show of Last Chance U. Uh, oh, yeah. That, oh, is that right? I, th- I think that's Kenny Ding. Uh, that sounds is, right. Is the Independence right. guy. Yeah. So, He's originally uh, from Northern Virginia. Yeah, indep- I tell you what, side note, if you like, uh, you know, you're into the recruiting and seeing the behind the works of JUCO, Last Chance U is a very, very good show. It, it's, it's a highly rated show. I think it's even favorably viewed uh, by people who, you know, aren't big football nuts. Yep. I, I think it gets some viewership outside sports fans. Um. That's a conversation for another time, but it is right. a great show. Um, I want to talk about the offense here because, and I want to. I, I like looking at the message boards after games because I feel like that's when we kid our fans at the you know at the peak time when it comes to losses. <laughs> the raw emotion. Uh, and you know, I, I do want to bring this up because it's been a lot that's been talked about on the boards and social media, and that has been the play calling of offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson. Uh, Justin Fuente has defended his offensive coordinator, came with him from Memphis. How much of the blame for Tech's struggles on offense is put on Brad Cornelson? Mm. Uh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think he's had a perfect year. Uh, I also think that when I think it's, the playbook has been limited when Ryan Willis took over the starting position. I mean, we've heard Willis has about 85% of the playbook 
as opposed to 100% like Josh Jackson. And he's also not good at making the reads on the read option. So you just can't call the read option very much. And then he's limited. He sees the middle of the field as far as physically sees it because he's tall. But there's a lot of movement in there. There's a lot of people. And not everybody can make quick decisions with all that movement and all that motion and everything on the inside. So I don't think he's very good passing the football over the middle. So you can't run plays over the – you can't run passing plays over the middle. And you can't run the read option very much. So what do you do as an offensive coordinator? That takes you, that takes out how much of your playbook, what percentage of your playbook, 40%? A third? I mean, so I think there are – I don't think he's had a perfect year, but I think there's enough – there are also a lot of personnel issues on this team. I think Nijman's injury last year – you know, Nijman was supposed to be an upgrade over Chong – at right tackle, right? Uh, or, uh, or no, 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 here's how it was originally supposed to go. Nijman was going to be at left tackle, and he'd be a senior, so he's an upgrade over his junior version of Nijman, right? Chong was going to move into on, into the inside, uh, which is his more natural position, and then somebody else was uh, – a true offensive tackle was going to take over at right tackle. So we were going to upgrade at both tackle spots. Well, instead, that injury to Nijman last year caused him just to be just a shadow of his former it, it self. It appears to have derailed his career. It's derailed, derailed his career, cost him a shot at the NFL, everything. So they had to move him to the right side, where he's not as good as Chung was last year, quite frankly. And the true freshman there starting at left tackle – although he's done very well for a freshman, is not as good as Nijman was last year. So that injury has really made Virginia Tech worse at two positions on the offensive line. Um, and then, of course, Teller. You knew there was going to be a downgrade there. Teller's starting for the Buffalo Bills now. I think he's going to be an all-pro player in the NFL. He was a great player. Um, so I think there's a lot of personnel issues there still, some of which was in Virginia Tech's control, some of which was not in Virginia Tech's control. Uh, I certainly know that Ryan Willis has a big-time arm and everything like that, but I think he l limits the things Virginia Tech could do offensively. A, qu a question I have, though, Will, real you know, we're talking about this offense, and you look at what Justin Fuente did at Memphis and what made him the coach to get three years ago, right? And that was that Memphis was putting up consistently. I, mean, I remember watching the Ole Miss game, and it's like, 45, 49, 55 points per yes game. Yes and no. Yes and no. You go back and you go back and look at Memphis's games against Temple, and I'm sorry I can't regurgitate the scores right off the top of my head. But Memphis struggled to score against Temple. We're talking 17 points. Yeah, it was a matchup thing. Yeah. And uh, I think in Fuente's third year, they averaged uh, 450 yards of total offense, and in his fourth year, they averaged 470 yards of total offense. It's not like they were Texas Tech under – What's-his-face putting up 600 yards a game Mike or Leach. anything like that. Yeah, they were very good and they were very efficient. But the reason they were so good in, the, in this third year is because they had a top 25 defense to go around to Correct. go along with a solid offense. Um, it's basically their – his third year at Memphis was like his first year at Virginia Tech, about 450 yards a game on offense. And he also had, quite frankly, a first-round pick facing American Conference defenses. And that's what that, that makes it a lot easier on everybody. And now he does not have a first-round pick at quarterback, and he's going against ACC defenses. And that's what I was going to ask. Is the difference really from the American to the oh, ACC yeah. that yeah. different? I mean, I think certainly it is. Um, I think there's – I think at the top of the American Conference – is very good, like like Houston has good talent, and, and I think Memphis has has UCF. pretty good talent, and UCF obviously. Um, but I don't I don't think I think the 
I think the drop-off is deeper from your upper echelon AAC schools to the bottom. Correct. So you can really rack up some numbers on some of those bad teams in that league. East Carolina, for example. I mean, Virginia Tech has racked up uh, two years in a row in East Carolina. They put up over 600 yards of offense and like 60 points. Okay. And you've got a few East Carolinas in that league, right? You don't really have any East Carolinas in, in the ACC for the most part. So uh, so, so in his last year at, uh, at uh, Memphis, they started out 8-0, and and that included that win over, uh, over Ole Miss, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep, 37-24. And then after the 8-0 start, they, they only scored 20 points on Navy. Navy beat them 45-20. to 20. Now, that was a Navy team that went 11-2. and two. Then they, they, they lost. I remember watching this game because uh, this was November 14th, and Frank had already announced his retirement. So everybody knew who the prospects were. So I remember watching Houston play Memphis. And, and of course, Houston was under uh, Tom Herman that year. And Houston went 13-1. and one. And I remember Memphis got out to a, like a two-score lead on them. And then uh, Houston came back and won at 35-34. to 34. Competitive game, at least it was a relatively high-scoring game. The next outing, Memphis lost to Temple 31-12. to 12. So they put up only 12 points on Temple. Then they let Southern Methodist up 63 to nothing. That was back when Southern Methodist didn't win a game that year. Yeah. So, the, they, yeah. so well, there was they, another they, one. Actually, they were 2-10. Okay, whatever. Here. Anyway, uh, but they weren't yeah, good. They, so yeah. Navy was 11-2, and two, Houston was 13-1, and, and Temple was 10-4. and four. So those were the, the good teams on Memphis' schedule that year. And Fuente lost all three of them, boom, boom, boom. And in the Temple case, didn't even get over, uh, what was that, what did I say, 12 points. Yeah. So I think to answer the, the fans' questions of saying, where is the offense of 45, 50 points like they did, I think the, the simple answer is you need the personnel, you need the experience who knows the playbook in order to do that. Right. Yeah. You do. Um, and the closest Virginia Tech has come to having all of those things was in year one. And they had a good offense that year. Um so, we, it's going it's to take a while, man. This is not not an overnight process, no doubt about it. So, some of the things that are that are coming under criticism, you know, the play calling and like the decisions to put in Quincy per, Quincy Patterson when they put him in, and and the one thing that really uh, kind of baffled me early in the pit game <coughs> was uh, the, the overall they were leaning on Stephen Peoples a lot. They were handing him the football. They were having him return kicks. And there were a couple instances early in the game where they threw the little swing pass, the flare pass out to him. I'm not, I'm not talking an out-and-out wheel route. I'm talking that thing behind the line of scrimmage where he's running laterally to the line of scrimmage. And Pitt was all over it. And Stephen Peoples moving laterally to, laterally to the line of scrimmage typically isn't the kind of guy that's going to make you miss. So these are the kind of thing that fans are questioning. They're like, why are we throwing that pass to that guy in that situation? Now, to be fair, we threw the exact same pass to him the week before against Boston College, and he ran over three guys and picked up 25 yards. All right. Well, appreciate so. the balance. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of, the, one of the things that is an unfair criticism is, why are we bringing in Quincy Patterson if all we're going to do is run him up the middle? Well, Quincy threw something like four passes the other day, including what I thought was a very good play call when they brought him in and they rolled him out to throw the ball and James Mitchell was wide open in the back of the end zone. That's not a bad play call. That play call in air quotes, the play call worked. The execution didn't Quincy threw an incompletion to Damon Hazelton. Didn't see James Mitchell. So, you know, it's that old thing of it's a great play call. If it works, it's a terrible play call. If it doesn't, you know, I also want to point out that, you know, we've talked about how in game adjustments might need some fixing. Well, the offense got off to a bad start against Pitt, but they scored on their first two drives of the second half. 
Now, the problem long, is long, long drives, drives yeah. too. In their third drive of the second half, they, it was a turnover on downs on the three-yard line. And I think in their fourth drive, it was a turnover on downs on, like, the 20. Yeah. So, where they could have kicked field goals in normal situations, but they were behind by so many points. So, that would have been four straight scoring drives. That would have been four straight by. scoring drives. The only four times they had the ball in the second half, by the way. So, it's not like they didn't move the football in the second half. And Pitt was blowing them out, so you knew Tech was primarily going to pass. Right. And yet, they still, they still put were, together yeah. a good offensive Right. Point. So, I don't – yeah. So, yeah, I agree the start was bad against Pitt, but – I'm not going to sit here and complain about the offense in the second half and when they chose to bring in Quincy Patterson. I mean, if you're Fuente, you're trying to you're trying anything at that point. I mean, the fact of the matter is, going into the pit game, Virginia Tech had scored a touchdown on 100% of the drives in which Quincy Patterson had played. So you're trying to get something going on offense, right? So Quincy Patterson has played in three games. In mm-hmm. order to receive his red shirt, he can only play in one more. That's the new rule. He can play up to four games, get red shirted. With Miami and Virginia left and potentially the bowl, potentially the 12th game, when do they play him in that final game? I don't play him against Miami. No, I, I wouldn't I'll play him against Virginia. Maybe. You know, I'm not saying they have to play him against Virginia. I'm just saying if you're going to pick one or the other, I would not pick Miami. I'd pick Virginia. Agreed. And I have no great reasoning behind that um, other than to say I just don't think he'd help that much against Miami. He's more inclined to help against Virginia, in my opinion. Now, I will say this about Quincy. Uh, I thought Quincy looked decisive against North Carolina. I thought he looked indecisive against Pittsburgh. A little stutter-stepping, really, a lot of looking like, where's my hole? You're a big dude, man. Put your head down and go. You know, we're not expecting you to make a 30-yard run. We're expecting you, Quincy Patterson, when you are running the football, to pick up three to seven yards. Just put your head down and go. You know, you're going to get it just from sheer physical size. So you talked about it, Miami. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to the Hurricanes. Of course, what a great rivalry it has been in the ACC Coastal. Many people thought that this was going to be a matchup that could be a game day game back in August or September. It could decide the Coastal. Uh, it could be a primetime 8 o'clock game. It is a 3.30 kick, which is nice. It's not noon. But both of these teams might not make a bowl game this year. Who would have thought, beginning of the year, that we're talking about Miami and Virginia Tech not with six wins at this point? Yeah, I think this is one of those years where Miami's defense has lived up to the hype almost completely. And their offense is just so bad. It reminds me, actually, of, of a Virginia Tech team at some point, like in maybe one of – Beamers last year's like 2013 or 2015 or something like that when the defense was good but it's going to be a six and six team or something like that because the offense is so bad for, for yeah, the most in, part in 2013 the you know Kyle Fuller I think was a senior that year yeah and that was the, that was a defense that shut down Alabama, held them to 206 yards. I know, and they, and they had Logan Thomas <laughs> at quarterback, but still they just really had no, they had no receivers. Part of that was a receiver. Oh, issue, that, was, yeah. that was almost all yeah. of it was in a running back issue. Yeah. But okay. Miami this week, <laughs> uh, you know, the Hurricanes come in and, you know, they it, it's a rivalry game still. They're trying to get to a bowl game. What do you make of this game this weekend? Are we going to see both teams playing with everything to lose and an all-out mentality? How are we going to see this play out? I don't know. I mean, I, if I'm both of those teams, uh, Miami's lost four in a row, right? Is it four in a row? I think so, yeah. yeah. And Virginia Tech has lost three out of four. Now, there are two ways to look at it. Yeah. If either one of those teams or both could be looking at the other and saying, man, what a great chance to break our snide, right? we got a chance to get back in the win column. And they're really excited and they're motivated in practice because they know how they have a chance to win. On the other side of it, those Miami players, they've completely underachieved this year. 
Miami does not have a history in the last 20 years of being a mentally tough team. They could have packed it in mentally right now. Also, Virginia Tech could have packed it in mentally right now. When you when you get blown out like they have two of your last three games and you're a bunch of freshmen and it, it just doesn't seem like things are getting better, it, it would be easy to pack it in. I know what it's like to be at the end of a bad season and you lose mental focus and you're just ready for it to be over with, so you, you're just not as dialed in. Sounds like, like me the, as a New York Jets fan. There right you now. go, and 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 so it, that could be happening to Virginia Tech right now. Yeah, you just described so, every year of being a Miami Dolphin. Fan. <laughs> there we go. So yeah. I, th- so I mean, we could see two teams really fired up, ready to play each other, or we could see two teams just going through the motions, and it's just one of those boxing matches that you watch where nobody's throwing it's like any it's punches. All yeah, so, exactly. So, so. I, I have a tongue-in-cheek suggestion here. Let's skip inner Sandman, and when the two teams run out, let's give them a golf clap. <laughs> I mean, don't do anything to get Miami worked up and excited. Yeah. Okay? And, you know, and, and you, you know that's a point I've kind of been uh, not harping on, but mentioning at various times. I think the whole inner Sandman thing fires up visiting teams, you know. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but uh, – how else do you explain, ever since Inter Sandman has really hit its stride, Virginia Tech's home performance has started to decline? By the way, this is the first time that the, uh, the turnover chain makes its way to Blacksburg. Yeah. I am thrilled, if you can't tell. So, so one, one point, uh, so if you want to talk about the Miami defense, you know, they came in here three years ago, excuse me, two years ago, and Tech beat them pretty badly. And Miami had a solid defense that year, but they had three freshman linebackers. And while I don't remember exactly what happened in the game, I think Tech scored something like 30 points. Yeah, there was a lot of misdirection. Those linebackers were good players as freshmen, but really Tech really exposed them with misdirection. Yeah, and and they're not going to make those mistakes this time around. Um, So you got two teams that are both in a tailspin. They're both struggling. And uh, what it may wind up being is the the single best – physically talented unit on the field is going to be Miami's defense. Yes. And that may be the difference in the game. It may be nothing more than that. And I do think that it brings – going back to your point, though, about has Miami packed it in or Virginia Tech, if I had – if I was a betting man and I had to pick one of the two, I would definitely take Miami. If there's one thing that Virginia Tech does have, it's that there's there's two coaches who are fighting to get to a bowl streak. And Virginia Tech's normally and typically a gritty program where pride and the lunch pail defense – you know, I I don't – you're right. I, I don't buy into the fact that Virginia Tech Nor- has packed it in. Nor- I don't. Normally they are a, a gritty program that doesn't pack it in, but normally they don't have the school records set against them in rushing yards two out of three weeks either. So nothing is normal about this season. If, if, if this game had been played after the Boston College game, I'd feel really good about it because I liked the fire that I saw in Tech's defense in that game. Right. I didn't see that fire against Pittsburgh. Yeah. it's. I think, I think this game – if Miami gets a couple touchdowns lead, I think they'll roll. Because Virginia Tech, it seems like whenever they go down by a couple touchdowns, they get rolled. There's not a lot of uh, resiliency, resiliency when, when you get down by and, and part by of a that is youth and a lack of vocal leadership. Right, and that sort of exactly thing. right. Uh, so, but now, if this game is like tied in the third quarter or something like that, I, I mean, I think it'll go down to the wire. So actually, our buddy Chris Olin has a good way to kind of wrap this segment up before we get predictions. By the way, he's great, Chris. I got to give a shout out. If you listen, you've got some great questions, my friend. Every week, he's got a uh, true or false game for okay. us to play. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, saw I, did, that. I did see this one. So number one, Virginia Tech is the second worst team in the coastal. True or false? Who would be the worst? North Carolina. Oh. Uh, oh, true. This, at this point in time, true. True, absolutely. Number two, Virginia Tech has the best chance of winning the coastal in two years. I haven't looked at anybody else's roster. Um, uh, I I will actually say true. 
I, I think I don't know about the best chance, but I think they'll have a have a good shot at it, and Miami will probably be their primary competition. You know, some of the games that Tech has lost this year, Pitt is uh, Pitt, Pitt is experienced, old and experienced. Boston College they don't count because they're in the Atlantic. They're definitely peaking <laughs> as far as experience goes. Uh, Carolina, man, they're they're recruiting horribly. Yeah. Uh, the program's flailing. They're recruiting horribly. They're not going to be good two years from now. Yeah, I, I just I think Virginia Tech has played a lot of senior laden teams this year. I mean, Pitt was senior laden. Georgia Tech was senior laden. Yeah. Uh, Boston College. I mean, all these seniors and they're playing them with a bunch of freshmen. So, uh, you know, it's not just that Virginia Tech is going to get more experienced after this year. It's that those other teams are going to be a lot less experienced. Yeah. True or false, Quincy Patterson will not be ready until he's a redshirt sophomore. That's a fair question. Uh, I guess define ready. Define ready. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I'm going to say true. You know, as a redshirt freshman next year, if they make the decision to start him, I think it will be a decision for the future. I don't think he right. will be, quote, unquote, ready. And so I, I, right. I would call that true. And I think it will be one of those situations where, okay, here Quincy's the starter, and it's a decision for the future, and we think we're better off with a more talented Quincy Patterson with 50% of the playbook than we are with Josh Jackson with 100% of the playbook or something like that. Now, if they thought they were going to win the ACC next year, they would start Josh Jackson. Yeah, the problem is Virginia Tech might be coming off a really bad year this year, so that will make perhaps make Justin Fuente less likely to start Quincy with less of the playbook. But that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, we'll find out in the spring. Texas coach Tom Herman over Justin Fuente. True or false? False. Um, I mean, if, if, if Tech had taken Tom Herman, they would have had him for a year, then he'd be left and gone to Texas. <laughs> or even if they still had him, uh, man, he'd be getting the uh, – we'd be getting raked right now after all that stuff that came out about Herman over the weekend. Uh, now, granted, that – what's his name, Zach Smith? Zach Smith. That guy's clearly a nut job. So how much of that lying. is true and that how much of it's not – That does not mean he's lying. That does not mean he's lying. And I don't know whether he's lying or not. And Who, who knows? But I would not want to see Virginia Tech's head coach being mentioned – in any of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Tom Herman's a really good coach, but I just – I mean, honestly, anybody coming off the Urban Meyer tree right now looks like a complete scumbag, looks a little quite toxic, frankly. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I would take, I'll, I'll take Fuente as well. I think it's a better question if you substitute Dino Babers for Tom Herman. Or, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be a Babers fan. I'm, I'm liking what he's doing there. All right. Well, I just I saw the question about the the coastal. Thought that tied in what we're talking about. Let's free wrap. Go to Miami. Let's get predictions, and then we are going to take a break and get to basketball. Go ahead. Give us a score. Now, keep in mind that I have not started my game preview yet. Correct. I think I, that's when you're at your best, though, because it's your gut. I right, like the gut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're probably right. Um, I think, as Will said, the best unit on the field on Saturday will be Miami's defense. Um. I think Virginia Tech, I think Justin Fuente is better at game planning to his quarterback's strengths and weaknesses than Mark Richt is. I mean, Ryan Willis has good numbers this year. He does. Uh, I think his numbers mask his deficiencies. And I think Josh Jackson's numbers, to a certain extent, mask his deficiencies. But that, but Fuente is just excellent at finding a way to get his quarterback to put up good numbers. But that doesn't mean that despite having good numbers, you still don't limit the offense. Uh, yeah, it's not translating into right, points. Right, and but Mark Richt, his quarterbacks just put up bad numbers. 
So maybe he point. should maybe she, he should restrict the offense. Maybe he's asking them to do too much. I don't know. I don't know what, watch enough Miami football to know. I think Virginia Tech will have better quarterback play in this game. I think Miami is more likely to turn the football over than, than Virginia Tech, but I think Miami has Yeah, but has Virginia Tech's defense. defense is not good enough to apply Agreed. the pressure to it, cause it, it, those. They would have, it would have to be like the Boston College turnovers, like a missed handoff in the backfield and things like yeah, that. Yeah, or, or the yeah. bad pitch that Georgia it, it, Tech made. fumbled punts. Yeah, exactly. Not, it would have to be unforced errors. Um, to me, it doesn't matter to me that this game's in Blacksburg because that doesn't mean anything these days apparently. Um I have to pick Miami uh, just because they have a better defense. Um, I, I can't in good conscience pick Virginia Tech. I could easily tech, see Tech winning the game because, like I said, Virginia Tech, if they if they come out with their Boston College effort and Miami is packed it in, then Virginia Tech will yeah, win the game. Yeah. But you just don't know. Um, so the only thing I know is that Miami has the best unit in this game, their defense. So I'm going to pick Miami uh, 27-27. to. 20. I got the Canes 34 to 20. And I've got Miami 27 to 14. I should probably, 34 sounds more accurate or maybe even more, even though they have a bad offense, because we've underestimated opponents' scores each week. (laughs) That is true. We're like, yeah, our defense isn't good. We're going to give up 34 this week. Nope, we're going to give up 50, apparently. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm being, I'm probably being kind. I'm probably being kind. I think I am too. Do you want to go up a little bit? I'm going to maybe say like 35 to 21. Okay. But here's the thing, man. I just, I think they're so inept offensively, too. I know. I mean, I didn't go into the game thinking Pittsburgh was inept or that Georgia Tech was inept. But I think Miami's inept. Well, I, I, so. think, I think it's analogous to the North Carolina situation. If Larry Fedora didn't insist on doing things his offense isn't good at, <laughs> they would score more points. Right. You know? Um, now, you can kind of look at it that way. Uh, Mark Richt might coach them into a 34-point outing instead of a 49-point outing. Okay, so we've got our predictions. All three of us are going with Miami. That means Virginia Tech is going to win this game. Well, one can hope. So we've got our predictions. We still have a lot more to talk about on the Tech Sideline podcast this week, which is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk about Virginia Tech recruiting classes as today was the first day of National Signing Day on Wednesday, November the 14th. We'll talk about men's basketball, the Landers Nolly situation, all that and more coming up on the Tech Sideline podcast. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline Podcast. Thanks so much for listening in this week. I'm Evan Hughes. We've got Will Stewart. We've got Chris Coleman getting ready to talk about the first day of the National Signing Day period, which began November 14th. And a lot of these programs here at Virginia Tech are bringing in big-time talent. Will's got a sheet in front of him ready to break it all down for you. Will? Right. So at the time we are recording this podcast, the uh, signees for Virginia Tech Wrestling are a pretty impressive bunch. Uh, let's start with Bryce Andonian out, of, at Andonian out of St. Edward, Ohio. And again, I'm just I'm getting this off their Twitter feed, and I'm getting it off Flow Wrestling. Uh, Bryce is uh, Bryce is ranked in the 145 pound class, and I'll say I don't know where these guys are going to land at Virginia Tech Wrestling. I don't know what weight class they're going to wrestle in. This is where Flow Wrestling has them ranked. Bryce is number four in the 145 pound weight class in the nation, so that's excellent. 
Connor Brady out of Ohio getting a big-time recruit out of Ohio. That's nice. He's number three in the 152-pound class, and this is nationally. Um, and then Sam Latona out of uh, Alabama, number six in the 120-pound class. And then uh, Dan Mancini, also in the 152-pound class, number 12, and he's out of Pennsylvania. So, I mean, that's big time. Imagine if you're following Virginia Tech football and they're getting the uh, number three quarterback in, in – well, you can't say the country because – these are guys in their weight class, and actually a weight class would be analogous to a position in football, so sure, let's go ahead and say it. Imagine they were getting the number three quarterback in the country, the number four running back, the number six linebacker, and the number 12 cornerback. So excellent uh, signing class for, for Tony Roby so far. There's another uh, kid which I left out uh, who, who hadn't, as, as at the time we went to record, he hadn't signed yet, and I didn't do the research on him. Um, the guys I talk to, there's one guy in particular that I, that I text a fair amount with who is a uh, Virginia Tech wrestling fan, big time. They're very excited about this class and what Tony's doing with the program, with the two transfers he's brought in, with Makai Lewis, young guy, and, and, and everybody else in the program. You know, it's really looking good. And as I've told you, we're, we're going to push really hard to try to get people to actually go to the wrestling matches this year in Castle. So that's something that will be coming up on Tech Sideline that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. I do want to mention uh, Virginia Tech women's basketball. I said it in the beginning of the podcast, they had a terrific signing day so far. I want to talk to you guys about some of the players they have brought in. First of all, they bring in a really talented player uh, in Elizabeth uh, Kitley, who is the number 31 overall women's basketball player. She's the number six post player in the class, a two-time state champion. So she will likely be the heir replacement to Reagan McGarity down low for women's basketball. They also brought in the number 60 overall women's basketball player in Kayla King and then uh, a couple other recruits in Taylor Guyman. So Kenny Brooks, you know, we talk a lot about buzz, and rightfully so in the job he's doing for men's basketball, but women's basketball is trying to get to their first NCAA tournament since 2006. They have a great shot at doing that this year, and for years to come, they have a really good program moving forward. Yeah, um, I actually think the foundation under Kenny Brooks is stronger than it is under Buzz simply because, you know, you're not seeing you're not seeing so many coaches come in and out of the program. The recruiting rankings are more consistent. Like you saw Buzz at the beginning of his career bring in a really good class with Chris Clark. He brought on Matt Hill with him from Marquette. And then, you know, he brought in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But, you know, outside of his first couple of the years, for the most part, his recruiting rankings, they've dropped off a bit um, to a certain extent. Uh, and it's been very inconsistent, I'll, I'll say that. Um, they've had some good ones like Alexander-Walker. And, but then there's, there's been no consistency to his recruiting. It's been a lot of peaks and valleys. And to be fair, Tech is a hard place to consistently recruit. It, it, and yes, you're absolutely right. It, it, you're absolutely right. Um, but I, I actually think our men's basketball program, after this coming season, will have to rebuild a bit. Um, yeah, so at this I, point, I don't, if you take a snapshot at this point in time. Right. Yeah. I, I, I just think uh, things have been more consistent across the board under Kenny Brooks, I think, as far as the foundation of the program. Uh, and the results have certainly been there under Buzz. But I think right now, because of the last few years, what's gone on in the last few years as far as recruiting and things like that, I think the next couple of years of men's basketball will not be as good as the next couple of years of women's basketball. And I'm not necessarily talking this year. I mean the year after this year and the year after that. 
Um, and that's not really a knock on Buzz as much as it is a compliment to Kenny Brooks, who I think has done a really good job building the program, just like he did a really good job building JMU's program. Yeah, wouldn't it be awesome to see men's and women's make the NCAA tournament together for the first time in school history? I mean, yeah, I that, would that would be really be neat. The first time, wouldn't it? Wow. Yeah, plus, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Kenny just signed a highly rated post player. <laughs> he signed a post player. <laughs> <laughs> and Buzz tends not to sign highly rated post players, much yeah. less a, a lot. Yeah. And and uh, ramp up with the women's conversation. They also brought in the New Jersey Gatorade Player of the Year this year, Dara Mabry, their starting point guard already. She's Goodness. been fantastic this year. Uh, they've got to recruit uh, a girl in this year out of uh, out of uh, North Carolina whose name's escaped me. But anyways, you know, if you go to a men's game, I encourage you to come out. You know, Notre Dame's coming to Blacksburg this year, the defending national champions. It's a lot of excitement around both basketball teams at the moment. So, uh, all right, so that was our National Signing Day recap. For more information on that, follow us on Twitter at TechSideline. Go to TechSideline.com, and we'll keep you posted as we yeah, do Yeah, and, and to really kind of get the, get the recap of the wrestling class, probably go hang out on our wrestling board and just ask. Say, hey, tell me about it, and they'll pile in, and they'll tell you about it. Yeah, happy for Tony Roby. What another great class you had, as you said. Continuing on with a recruit for Buzz Williams, somebody who's going to be uh, an impact maker on this Virginia Tech program is Landers Nolly. Uh, we hope he will. If uh, The NCAA seems to think otherwise. Though. A four-star guard slash forward out of Georgia coming in uh, to Blacksburg this year. And I want to break down what happened because there was a report that came out yesterday. Well, first of all, let me backtrack. Landers Nolly has not been cleared by the NCAA to play. He was held out of the exhibition game against Liberty. He did not play against Gardner-Webb, the opening game against Friday. And nobody has really known the reasons why. So typically when the clearinghouse gets involved, it's, an issue, it's a situation where like a player has transferred for two or three high schools. Or maybe it's a foreign player and you're not sure how the credits trans or the, the degree transfers and that sort of Typically situations like that are when the clearinghouse gets involved this late and makes a freshman sit while they poke through his stuff. Having said that, proceed. Landers Nolly, we found out yesterday because of this report with an interview. By Mark Berman let's, of the Roanoke Times. Did a great job, really good. And he called his high school basketball coach and tried to get a reasoning behind what happened. And basically, Landers Nolly is not cleared to play because they feel that his ACT score is too high, period. Yeah, relative to his GPA, whatever his GPA is. And his coach went on to talk about how Landers is a really intelligent kid, I think is the word that he used in the report, and that he actually is going to make honor roll, he believes, or dean's list, I guess you call it, here in college in his first semester. And he's a bright kid. And the NCAA, because his score is too high, is holding him out. I can't believe this. Uh, Yeah, assuming that's true, it's ridiculous. Well, that's what the high school coach says. That's what the high school coach says, so that's all all we have to go on. Um, to me, if I don't know, it's it can't. This can't be the first time this has ever happened. If it's true, right? Ever for for anybody, that sounds like something you could easily get sued over. Basically, the NCAA is accusing him of cheating on his ass. Exactly. On his yeah. Yeah. If that's true, um, I'm now if they've done this before, and well, it's 2018. This is not the first time this has happened. I'm sure. It. So you would think that's something like this would have come out before and it would a major case would have would have would have opened up uh it either way whether it's that or it's something else it's ridiculous that it's november 14th and it hasn't been resolved and you know again i just i'm thankful that actually the story has kind of come out because 
you look at what's happened in the last 24 hours on social media, Jay Billis had something to say about on social media. Jay Billis always has something to say about the NCAA. <laughs> and, and, and he, he it's actually, easy, man. It's low-hanging fruit. He posted the story. John Rothstein of uh, CBS Sports posted Barstool was all over it today. So it's getting a lot of traction. I just, you know, I, I hope that with this coming out, I mean, if this is really him, I just feel for the kid. I'm not even talking about the team itself. It's unfair to someone if this is the story. Again, we don't have the mm-hmm. – there's always three sides to a story, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yep. Um, I mean, it's got to be unfair to Landers. And he would be an important piece beginning of the season trying to work um, – to, to produce the production that Chris Clark had. If you're Buzz Williams and you're trying to game plan for Ball State tomorrow, you don't know today whether you have Landers Nolly or not. So you make your game plan assuming you're not going to have it. Right? And then what if he's clear, magically cleared tonight? And you can play him, but you don't even have to get. You, you came up with a game plan that doesn't really involve him. So do you play him? And he hasn't uh, had any live game. And action. he hasn't had any live game action. So not not even an exhibition at scrimmage. Yeah. Right? So I, yeah. exactly. So I think it's I think it's ridiculous that whatever the situation is that it takes this long. Um, I don't know exactly when transcripts get turned into the NCAA, um, but I know that they make millions and millions and millions of dollars off the NCAA basketball tournament. Billions of dollars. Bill, you're over, right. Over time. You're right. And. Uh, and Virginia Tech, quite frankly, these days is one of those teams that's helping them make money in the NCAA tournament. And the, the fact that it's mid-November and there's no resolution to this is ridiculous. So what is the next step, though? I mean, if this guy, I mean, he has his ACT score. Are they going to make him retake the ACT? Uh, he retook it two weeks ago. And then the, the next step in this for Virginia Tech is to wink, wink, nudge, nudge Mark Berman and say, hey, call his high school coach. And the high school coach calls out the NCAA and makes them look bad, and it gets out in print, and then they start getting trashed on social media by ESPN's Jay Billis, and that forces the NCAA to expedite the expedite the process. Well, and I that, think that's the next step. And, and that was the that, point I was yeah. saying. I, I hope that it, as a result, just for Landers as a whole, I mean, as a person, I mean, you want to be doing what he's brought here to do. Yeah. I hope that this gets resolved because that's no fair to him. Right. As the old joke goes, the NCAA is so mad about UNC's fake classes that they bench Landers Nolly at Virginia Tech. I put UNC Pembroke on probation. <laughs> I will say there were a lot of uh, tech fans yesterday talking about the NCAA and UNC and then comparing it to the situation. Well, so it's, it's, Yeah, it's, it's the immediate line that you draw. You yep. Know? Well, anyways, I just wanted to touch on that because it's interesting. And, again, Landers Nolly is one of the freshmen. You, know, you could say, obviously, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was kind of the face of the Virginia Tech freshman class last year. Landers Nolly is the face this year of this program. However... There were a couple of really talented freshmen as well in this class, and that leads me into my next topic, breaking down the Gardner-Webb game, which if you look at the Tech Talk Live notes that Jake Lyman did for us at TechSideline.com, and you listen, Buzz was not pleased wasn't. with the team on Friday. And the lone, uh, one of the bright spots, I thought, was the play of Isaiah Wilkins, mm-hmm. the freshman, but Buzz was not happy about their blowout win over Gardner-Webb. Explain, I, CC. I, I asked the, uh, the first question of the press conference. Sometimes when you ask, I know how Buzz is at this point, so things are fairly obvious and you know what he's going to say. You just ask you the just, question you, to get you, him started, you just, right? Yeah, you just don't know how he's going to say it. So I knew he didn't think they played well defensively because I didn't think they played well defensively despite Gardner-Webb's 29 turnovers. When the Gardner-Webb wasn't busy turning the ball over, they were being very effective offensively. So I asked him that, and I knew what he was going to say. I just didn't know how he was going to say it. Uh, but, yeah, he was really upset by it. And then he doubled down on Monday night on Tech Talk Live. He said, 
you know, whatever I said to the media and on the radio after the game, I didn't say it hard enough. We were after I watched I think the film. He said I was too nice. Yeah, or yeah, something yeah, something like that. like that. He was like, we were even worse than I thought after I watched the film. Um, now I think some of that is true, and some of it's not true. Now he's got a veteran team for the most part this year. He's got a lot, a lot of guys with plenty of experience. Um, I think they've had worse performances in the past, even against bad teams, than they had against Gardner Webb the other night. But I think he holds this team to a higher standard because Justin Robbins is a senior. Kerry Blackshear is a redshirt junior. Ahmed Hill is a redshirt senior. Uh, you know, there's just uh, Ty, uh, Ty Outlaw is a redshirt senior. Um, they're very experienced players on this That's team. So I, I, th- I think you can be harder on uh, an experienced team than you, than you can a young team. Like, what do you do if you're Justin Fuente and Bud Foster right now? I don't think a fire and brimstone speech to a bunch of freshmen about how they needed to get it together and be better is, is going to work. Yeah. Um, now, I think something like that does work if it's 2007 and LSU just bombed you for 600 yards and you've got a bunch of seniors on that defense and they know they're capable of playing better and they know how to play better. Yeah, I think you yell at that group. but I, And I think you can yell at this Virginia Tech basketball team because they're an experienced group. I don't think you can yell at a bunch of young players like Tech's football team right now and expect them to magically get better. But I think you can challenge a senior-laden team a little more verbally um, just because they have that experience and they're more mature and they know how to handle it. And and, and for me, looking at it along those lines, uh, you know, and Chris, you know, you, you follow them closer than I do, so you can, you can jump in here. But um, I think sometimes Buzz is experimenting at the beginning of the year trying to find the best lineups and, and things like I that. I think that's part of it. But I also think the foul trouble the other night didn't allow him to do that much experimenting. Well, so I'm, I'm actually talking about seasons past. I think right. if you look at this season, you know, whatever, however Buzz has managed the season the last two years, Tech has wound up being an 8-9 slash seed. Yeah. And I know that as an observer and fan of the basketball program, I don't want to wind up in that game again. Yes. I want to wind up in a 5-12 or something like oh, yeah. that. So it, it, I think it may be more not only that the team's older, the point I'm making is not only is the team older and you can get on them more, but he wants them to, to be better earlier in the year. Absolutely. You know, to build that resume. So when it comes time to hand out the seeds, you're not handing out Tech as an 8 or 9. They're, they're a 4 or 5 or a 6. And the key to that is playing – better earlier in the season one thing he said on tech talk live and i was not at the game on friday i did not go back and watch the replay so i want to get your thoughts cc was that he said that he thought that everybody was again paraphrasing here playing a little selfishly he thought yeah, that there were some yeah he did some you know, I, I i thought i heard that Nikhil alexander walker got attacked he did uh, i mean he jawed at somebody after he scored on him or something like that and, and it just thought it was kind of unnecessary I, there, there, was, there was another time and i forget the two players involved there was another time in the open court it was a two-on-one situation and one of the tech players could have easily lobbed it up for, to the other one for for a donk or a layup and he didn't he kept the ball and put up something wild and turned it over um so I, I, I didn't think it was a typical Tech game from that standpoint. Now the good thing here is Virginia Tech did not play well defensively. They turned the ball over 20 times. Hmm. And they still won by 29 points. Um, you know, I think really the last time they played like that in a non-conference game, and no, they weren't this that bad against St. Louis last year. St. Louis is better than Gardner-Webb. Last time they really, I thought that they played bad in a non-conference game was when they lost to uh, Alabama State or Alabama A and M. Alabama State. No, it's Alabama A and M. Whoever it was, one of the not Alabama. 
one of the other Alabama. <laughs> oh, you could have said yeah. the last non-conference game technically was Alabama right, right, in the NCAA yeah. tournament. Right. Speaking of Alabama, this transitions us into our next topic about the Charleston Classic Tournament that Virginia Tech will be partaking in Thursday through Sunday. It's put on by ESPN. Here are the teams in the field besides Virginia Tech, Ball State, that's who the Hokies open up with. Alabama, Northeastern, Davidson, Wichita State, Appalachian State, and Purdue. Purdue, Wichita State, every now and then Davidson, Alabama, NCAA tournament teams year in and year out. So, you know, the Hokies have a chance to play the Crimson Tide again if they're able to beat Ball State and the Tide can handle Northeastern. Yeah, and I'm worried about Ball State. I actually feel better about Tech's chances of beating Alabama than I do Ball State. And, uh, and keep in mind the Buzz, and not, I'm sorry to cut you off, but Buzz was really, really praising and, Ball and State. He's, he's absolutely right. They've got a balanced lineup as far as size. They're very experienced. they got two uh, transfers in their starting lineup from SEC schools. They're, in fact, those transfers have bumped a former starter out of the starting lineup. Their starting center from last year, who was third-team All-Mac, averaged 11.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2.1 assists per game. He's now coming off the bench. I mean, this is a good, experienced, deep team. and They don't play any freshmen. Um, so, yeah, Virginia Tech is going to have their hands full w- with Ball State. This is probably an NCAA tournament Ball State team, in my opinion. Uh, correction, it was Alabama State. I just looked it up while Chris was talking. There you go. But you go, you look at this map. I mean, again, Buzz was saying, listen, basically, we can't take this lightly. I think people see the name Ball State. Absolutely. And they um, write them off. Especially, like, like, all right, tech fans don't watch a lot of basketball. Some tech fans do, but as, as, a, as a group, group, as a fan base, like, I, I could tell sometimes some people on our message board don't realize that there are more than 130 Division One basketball teams I don't think they realize there are 350 Division One basketball teams out there. So they see some of these games that Tech are playing, and that they think it's a Division Two. Think team. it's a one double eight, right? And, yeah. and it's not. Um, and they think that just because it's Ball State, it does it means that Ball State shouldn't be any good at basketball. Well, you know, you see teams at Ball State's level and with their resources be good at basketball a lot. Um, how do you explain Wichita State? How do you explain Davidson and and, and teams like that, um, or Xavier, or Dayton, or any of those? Um, so Ball State, I think, is, is good. Ball State it, it will be the best team on Tech's schedule that Tech fans know nothing about, and it's not even close. And if they win, you feel comfortable about the Alabama oh, game? Oh, I already, I already know what the message boards are going to look like if Tech loses. It's going to be like the St. Louis game last year, when and there there will be fans on our board saying, my gosh, we're not going to go to the NCAA tournament. We have no business we, losing that team. This is yeah, not an NCAA yeah, tournament yeah, right. team. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, St. Louis isn't even – uh, d- uh, shouldn't even be in Division One or, s- or stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, if Virginia Tech loses to Ball State, which I actually think is a pretty good chance they will, personally, mm. um, if they lose to Ball State, you don't you don't jump off the bridge don't or anything burn down like the house. that. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's early in the season. I mean, gosh, I remember when Virginia Tech made the NCAA tournament in 2007, and they lost to to Western Michigan and. Southern Illinois in the same tournament in Florida, and and you know, Southern Miss was, or excuse me, uh, Southern Illinois was good. They eventually knocked 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 Tech out of the NCAA yeah. tournament, but Western Michigan was not good. And then, and then later on in that off season, in the in the preseason non conference schedule, they lost to Marshall, and they lost to GW, and uh, and that was the year they went on to be a five seed. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. So so so, so it's not like football where one of these losses can totally derail oh, yeah, your yeah, chances of yeah. a postseason bowl. And now, now that said, if Virginia Tech plays like Virginia Tech is capable of playing, they could they'll 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 beat Ball State. But I, I don't. Ball State's played two games already. Most they, most every team in this tournament has already played two games except Tech. I know Ball State has. I haven't gotten past Ball State in my right. research. No, I actually yet. think Buzz was talking about. Yeah. Which brings into the, the point that. Virginia Tech, I believe, was supposed to have two games played at this point. He brought this up uh, yeah. on Tech Talk Live that Virginia Tech was supposed to play Kentucky this year again in Madison Square Garden. To, they were supposed to play Kentucky this past weekend in Madison Square Garden, in which case they would have scheduled their first game of the season like on Tuesday. Yeah. So they would have played Gardner-Webb on Tuesday, Kentucky this past Saturday, and then boom, they would go to Charleston for And the that's tournament. a bummer because I would have loved to have seen Tech Especially after the way Kentucky played against uh, Duke, <laughs> well, I and, and how they played—they didn't play well in their second game either. Correct. They're not a good team right now. Uh, now Virginia Tech wasn't good against Gardner Webb, but I, they probably would have been better if they were playing Kentucky because they would have been more mentally focused. Uh, so I, I mean, Virginia Tech could win this game. Now, if, if the team got woken up by their performance for Gardner Webb by, from against Gardner Webb and they listen to Buzz, then they'll come out and play well. But sometimes you actually have to lose before it, it knocks you back down to earth a little bit. Yeah, and, particularly when you're ranked number 15 right, in the country. Right. And quite frankly, they're also learning. They're playing without Chris Clark. They're learning how to play without Chris Clark. They spent most of the preseason playing with Chris Clark. It's only just now that they don't have Chris Clark. And, and so, I mean, that, that's a big deal. Looking at the other side of the bracket besides Alabama, Will, you got Purdue, Wichita State, and Davidson. Out of those three teams, who would you most like Tech to play in the championship if you could pick? I am one of those Tech fans that doesn't follow college basketball as a whole very closely, so I'm completely not equipped to answer that question. Um, Purdue is ranked 23rd in the country. Yeah. In fact, speaking of Ball State, Ball State took Purdue down to the wire on the road the other day. Did they so really? that, that's how good Ball State is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, they're really good. So uh, I would I would personally pick – I want the toughest schedule possible for uh, seeding purposes. I, at least I think I do. I don't. I mean, the RPI doesn't exist anymore. So, what exactly are the metrics now? I'm really not sure. Yeah, we actually don't know. So, it's that's a really tough question to answer. Based on past history, for RPI strength of schedule purposes, I would say I want the three toughest games possible. But I don't know if I want that now or not. I want to see Virginia Tech play in this tournament. Whoever's going to give them the biggest matchup problems, and here's why: I want to see how Virginia Tech does guarding big men this year. Who? Devin Wilson was guarding Marvin Bagley the third last year in Castle. And Tech won. <laughs> I want to see who who's that I want to see how Tech matches up early in the season against big men. Right. Because we know Tech can win Tech could beat a Davidson or Wichita State, a team that's known to shoot the three ball and outscore them. I want to see them early in the season have to play some tough interior opponents. And typically Purdue typically has some big guys down low. Yeah, they do. Purdue's so. typically got a pretty good team all around, and I think they do again this year. So we'll be keeping an eye on that tournament the whole weekend. Of course, uh, I believe, to, yes, the ball state is 1130. On Thursday, I believe on ESPN2. And, and I think so, yeah. And then there will be another game on Friday in the middle of the day. Win or lose? Uh, win or it's, lose. It's either 11 a.m. or 1 o'clock. So, yeah, I yeah, think. depending on whether Tech wins or lose. Then they'll take Saturday off, thank goodness, yep. and play again on Sunday. Yep. And, uh, and also it's going to be on ESPN. It'll also be uh, on the uh, IMG gosh, Sports what Network. what will the Sunday game be, man? I, I, I want to go to that soccer. I want to go to the Tech soccer game. Hmm, that is true. I tell you what, I do have to give a shout out to uh, to Lays and Burn Up though. They're going to be doing some serious traveling this weekend. They're in Charleston. I don't know what they're doing. I'm sure they're they're going to have to be back Saturday. I don't know. Are they going to drive after the game Saturday back down to Charleston for Sunday? So you know, if if I'm Laser, 
I would be I'd be like, you know what, do I really want to call the Virginia Tech football game this week the way we're playing? <laughs> I think I might be like, you know what, Andrew Allegretta, here's your first chance to call a Virginia Tech game. I'm staying uh, in Charleston, South Carolina this weekend. Wow. I mm-hmm. think that's what I would do if I was Laser. <laughs> <Wow. but. laughs> well, looking at TechSideline.com, we talked about it before, but I do want to reiterate it at the end. We've got a lot going on. We do. A lot. And coming up in the next couple days, we've got men's basketball, recruiting it sounds like mm. on the message boards for right. wrestling we've got uh football your game preview we'll have a Q&A on friday we'll have brandon patterson yeah whatever jason stame sends us which i think is one or two more articles this week mm-hmm. uh i'm trying to think rack my brain of, but it's a lot of stuff it's a lot of stuff uh, yeah. as usual as yeah. usual a little and more this week though because of the basketball tournament gotcha. well, remember tweet us or uh, email us some questions for jeff holland for the uh podcast that jeff and i'll be doing and, on uh, Friday. right and jeff from a historical standpoint here to put it in perspective played for lou johnston at western branch high school which was a pipeline to virginia tech back in the day uh he was on the defensive line from i thought was he clay class of 91 he redshirted in 91 then yeah played he 92 played 92 through, through 95 and he was a defensive tackle and he was in that in the playing rotation all four years so he was on the independence ball team he was on that sugar bowl team he was on that defensive line that shut down texas i mean we're, we're, this was a good player for tech yes yeah, so jeff was from the, the seven, one five, jeff was seven. the one who blocked the field goal against uh, indiana right before the half that uh okay. Bank, banks ran in for a touchdown. Uh, and didn't he didn't he block one no, he returned one against UVA that year for a touchdown. We won that he, game by three. Uh, yeah, I think somebody forced a fumble in 1993, and, and, oh, it was a and Jeff yeah. either recovered it or picked it up and ran it in. Yeah. Uh, wow, I used, to, I used to, be able to be able to remember stuff like that right off the top of my head. What I do remember is a picture of Jeff crawling on his hands and knees toward the football. Now, see, I don't, I, I don't know how I remember that. I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, your brain has a lot more capacity when you're 10. But That's a great true. podcast coming out with Will. And, uh, and Jeff on Friday, so or being recorded on Friday. Looking forward to that being posted next week. For this podcast, that is going to wrap it up. What a lot we talked about. Best of luck to basketball, football, and then men's soccer on Sunday. If you're in Blacksburg, if you're here Saturday, think about staying Sunday and watching men's soccer after their first round by playing at home at Thompson Field. For Will, for Chris, I'm Evan. We'll talk to you not next week, all for Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you in two weeks on the Tech Sideline Podcast.